0: what's up everyone and welcome to the likes in cash podcast today i have one of my good friends here with me uh chase diamond so chase has been growing on twitter and linkedin like crazy one of my closest friends ever since i started on this twitter journey and i'm like yeah i'm having this guy on the podcast so chase why don't you introduce yourself tell people a little bit a little bit about you
1: yeah dude stoked stoked to be here uh the high level is i'm a partner at an e-commerce marketing agency at this point now, we've got like 120, 130 employees, working with about 150 clients, and we'll do north of eight figures this year, which is our first year you know, doing 10 plus million in revenue. So really excited. It's been an awesome journey getting here. And then outside that, I kind of, what I think about like my personal brand, I almost think of it like a media company or a content company. I've got my newsletter, which recently crossed 50,000 subscribers. I've got my Twitter, which is almost 100,000 at the time of recording. Uh, my LinkedIn's at 70,000. And through that, I've been able to you know, drive sales through courses, through sponsorships, through rev share and so much more. So yeah, my main focuses are the agency and, and the personal brand. And under the personal brand, there's a whole lot of things we can get into.
0: Yeah, let's talk about that one. How are you
1: monetizing the personal brand now? Yeah, I think I've done a fairly decent job at it. I think for one is just giving a ton of value. So I think giving a ton of value away you share your ideas and whatnot. And through that, right, people just want more and more and more from you. And the way that they get more is a couple of things. Uh, one is I have a free newsletter in which advertisers want to reach my audience. So they pay to sponsor my newsletter. That's one. Uh, two is I get rev share deals or equity deals within companies like Triple Whale and retention.com, where they gave, give me kind of shares or options in exchange for kind of giving them feedback, promoting them, you know, getting involved, etc. Um, I have courses, so at this point now I've got five or six courses that have done close to about two million dollars, all organic, you know, pretty much no paid, with the exception of like a few retargeting ads to my own followers on Twitter. So very small budget, I've done about two million dollars on that in about two or so years, and then I've got an agency, so we're able to bring clients over into the agency, um, and, a, and a whole bunch of other ways that I'm probably forgetting. But those are the ones that are top of line, and I guess also events. I, I threw a quarterly event last year and we did, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars on that events business.
0: Was that the online summit?
1: Yes, yes, exactly.
0: Got it. Can can you disclose which one's the biggest one out of all of them?
1: Um, inclusive of the agency or, or exclusive of the agency?
0: I guess exclusive because the agency is the biggest, I assume.
1: Yeah, the yeah, agency is number 1. Um yeah, we'll do between 10 to 15 million in revenue this year on that business. Uh, The course business is probably the second, right? Like I've done about $2 million in two years on that one. Uh, You know, the events business did a couple hundred thousand dollars last year. Uh, Newsletter did a couple hundred thousand dollars last year between like free newsletter. And I also have a paid newsletter uh, with a couple hundred people that subscribe to that. So yeah, I think all of them are six, seven, eight figure businesses at, at this point. And then outside of that, when I do like equity deals with startups like triplewellretention.com, my my equity on paper, you know, is worth right now, you know, six figures and a few of the companies each. And, you know, at the time that I'll probably sell and exercise those options and and have like an event, you know, they'll probably be north of, you know, 500000 to a million dollars in some cases. That's nice. That's good. If, if somebody is looking into partnering
0: up with somebody, because that's what I did with Tweet hunter I partnered up with them, I have some equity, they have some equity, but how do you structure those deals? Like, what's the talk like when you structure these
1: deals? Yeah, so, I mean, fortunately, it's been inbound, so it makes it a little bit easier, but the way I think about it is, like, I want three things. I want uh, equity or options or shares in the company that vest over a period of time, so... Um, Oftentimes with employees, there's typically like a four-year vest with like a one-year cliff basically means like for the first year, you don't earn the equity. And then over the next three years, you you receive kind of the equity. That's typically of of employees. The way that I structure as an advisor is there's a 12-month vest period. So over 12 months at the end of one year, I've earned the options. I've earned the ability to own those shares, purchase those shares. In different cases, they're, they're different things. Sometimes I'm gifted the equity and other times I have to actually buy them where there's agreed upon number of shares. At an exercise price, and then that is how you get the total dollar amount. So that's one: is some kind of options or shares or equity in the company. Two is I charge them a fee to, you know, promote to my audience—a a slightly lesser fee than I would charge someone that I don't have equity with. And then three, uh, performance compensation. So in addition to the the retainer or the um, kind of the fee that they pay me, I also take a percentage of sales and revenue above and beyond their payback period. So say someone gave me $5,000, I would take, you know, 15 or 20% for two years on any dollars above and beyond that $5,000 that I make them. So in the case that I make them $20,000, I would take, you know, 15 or 20% of that $15,000 in between. And that gets paid out monthly for the lifetime of the contract or for about two years, depending on how I negotiate. I like it.
0: I was watching an Alex from video the other day about how like the biggest brands, Kylie, Connor, The Rock, like eventually they, what they did is they partnered up with people who can offer a product that was along their audience. So because you're Ecom Chase Diamond, you know, Ecom email marketing, then all those made sense. And maybe that's why you got so much inbound. Remember when I was doing a Tweet Hunter and they talked to me and I'm like, I have no clue what to do here. And I just texted you, Chase what's the move? Like, what do I tell them, right? And it made sense when you built an account on a certain topic, eventually opportunities start to go to you. So my next question is, would you recommend going niche down or more of a broader approach when you grow audiences?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. By the way, what you guys have done with Tweet Hunter has been impressive. And you were the guy on Twitter. So there's just product market fit. There's totally congruency between what you're doing and what they're doing. And it it just makes a lot of sense. Um, You know, I think when I think about my journey, I started with specifically e-commerce email marketing, right? Very, very niche, right? It's people within e-commerce that happen to believe in email. So it's a subset of a subset. Um, So that's in the beginning. I think you have to be laser focused and you have to become known for something. And I think as your platform and as your audience scales over time, you can remove just the e-commerce part, right? So I went from e-commerce email marketing, even though that's a big core identity for me, to talking more about email marketing as a whole. Now I can loop in people that are B2B email marketers, SaaS email marketers, personal brand email marketers. So I kind of widen the funnel in which my content becomes relevant. And then from there, right, while I still talk about e-commerce email, I talk about email as a general, I've started talking about copywriting. Now I get a whole other subset of people that maybe aren't interested in email marketing, they're interested in copywriting for ads or copywriting for landing pages. And while most of the stuff I talk about is copywriting for emails, it's still very applicable to other things as well. And then addition to that, right, is as the agency started to grow from low seven figures to mid seven figures to high seven figures to low eight figures, I started talking about the journey from going from freelance to agency owner, you know, agency owner kind of in the weeds to operator. So I think as you evolve and as your journey evolves, the content kind of broadens to some degree, but you still obviously need to focus. Like, I'm not going to just talk about, like, marketing necessarily as a whole quite yet. Maybe in the future, I can be like a Gary V and talk about that and people would listen. But I think today, still having core buckets is super important. Was that a
0: natural transition or did you plan it? Like, I want to start niche and then broaden, or is it something like kind of happened?
1: Uh, it's a bit of both. I think I went really broad in my agency offering initially. That, that really made me want to go very niche in the beginning. So I've had now like three or four different agencies. You know, my agency like, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, we offered every service under the sun and it was really hard to scale past 30000 a month. And then the next agency, right, we offered most services under the sun and we then got to like 80000 a month and we couldn't really scale past that. I then was like, oh, I need to focus on just one thing. I want to be excellent at one thing. So that was e-commerce, email marketing. So because I was so focused day-to-day on doing e-commerce and marketing, that was the thing that made sense for me to talk about. And then I guess to your point, naturally over time, as I started to do more things, as I started to have conversations with larger brands that maybe were outside of e-commerce, then I had the experience to talk about just e-commerce. And as I started building my newsletter, and as I started building this travel series, and as I started doing all these other things, naturally, those were the things that were top of mind for me. So it, in one regard, it was strategic where I wanted to go from being so broad to very narrow. And then over time, as I got involved with SaaS and events and other things, those things were just top of mind for me. So I started talking about that and people started resonating with it. So I continued with it and just doubled down on all these, all these things. Got it. I like it, man.
0: It reminds me of a Naval quote, which is, be the best in the world of what you do. Keep redefining what that is until it's true. Right. So like, instead of being king that. of the ocean, yeah, that's a good quote. Like instead of being like the king of the ocean, you start with maybe a smaller ocean. And if not a lake, and then a pond and if not a, a little puddle. Right. But at least there you're king. And eventually like you start growing and expanding. So you started with email marketing, then you grew into like this behemoth of accounts we're going to get into in a bit, which actually let's get into it now. I'm, I'm curious, um, you have a bunch of followers on LinkedIn. You got Twitter. You got all these. Do we call it theme pages? The daily copywriter. I guess theme pages. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. That's what I think about it. Yeah. Uh, what? How many accounts and what did they do? Do you have?
1: Yeah. So in addition to my personal account, I've got two others. I actually started with one called Email of the Day, where every single day I would share like a email that was interesting and cool. I'd share things like the email itself, the subject lines, the time it was sent. What email platform someone's using. I started with that one because, again, that was very top of mind and relevant to me. Um, and I grew that one pretty quickly to like, I don't know where it's at, 10 or something thousand followers, somewhere around there. Um, but then, but then I got like over it once I started something called the Daily Copywriter, Daily Copywriting <laughs> Account, because that was just so much easier to create content for. With the other one, like I literally would scan hundreds of emails a day, I would pick the best one. I'd actually use Tweet Hunter to post it because, like, I didn't know how to like. it from my phone and my computer at the same time and i didn't want to mess with my personal account so i actually used tweet hunter for that and it just became like a lot of work where i didn't want to scan 100 emails a day and and post something so it's been way easier for me being so busy to manage a copywriting account because i've logged on my phone i create the content it's just a tweet right it's not visual i don't have to spend a lot of time so the daily copywriting account is one that i'm going really hard on on both linkedin and twitter and actually, ironically, on both accounts, I'm at 18,000 followers. So 18,000 on Twitter, 18,000 on LinkedIn. The interesting thing, though, is the LinkedIn account only came maybe 30 to 45 days ago. And the Twitter account was probably about, I don't know, three to four months ago. So the LinkedIn account's growing actually way quicker than the Twitter account. But both are putting up numbers, man. Like some of these accounts, some of these posts I have, like, it's not uncommon for them to get 300, 500, 700 likes sometimes. It's pretty impressive.
0: Nice. What? what? why did you start them
1: oh i started them for a couple reasons one is i a huge obviously believer in the personal brand going really hard on the personal brand but i also want to own assets that don't require my face uh in the future if i ever want to sell something in the future if i ever want to do projects that are outside of just me um, i want to have an entity or, or entities that don't have my face on it and don't require me Like, you know, in the future, right, like if I want to bring on other copywriters to help me grow the account and create content, um, it's harder for them to do that under my personal brand, right? It's just kind of weird. But it's easier for them to do that under these theme pages. So I thought like one, uh, diversifying away from just my face was important. Two, is they kind of now mutually help one another, right? Like I retweet daily copywriting, daily copywriting retweets me, and the accounts kind of grow together, and they kind of attract different people. There's a certain type of follower that wants to follow me. Someone that has an interest in, you know, all the things I talked about, email, agency, uh, copywriting, et cetera, where daily copywriting is very easy. You either want to learn copywriting or you like copywriting or you don't. So there's, I think, different types of followers that the pages attract. And the kind of the sum of the parts is really, really impactful and powerful. Got it. You want to
0: sell that at some point? Is that why you want to be detached from it?
1: Uh, You know, potentially, you know, I've thought about like building, you know, newsletters around it, you know, there I've got a copywriting course with Mason, uh, in the future, if it stops serving me, and it serves someone else, and there's the right fit in terms of compensation, potentially. But right now, I love it, dude. It's super cool. It's just a game for me. Like I love growing it. Now I want to see can I grow this to 50,000 100,000 followers. Um, and can I do that quicker than I have in my personal brand? Maybe I don't know. It's been fun.
0: Yeah, those are easier to grow. I started best best ads of all time. That was a, an account. That's what it was called, best ads of all time. Easiest job I've ever had. I just had to go and Google best ads of all time. It? Yeah, that was a that was a good one. I just um, I don't want to admit this, but I'll admit it here. I uh, kind of lost the phone number it was associated with, so I just got locked <laughs> out. Yeah, because it was an American phone number, right? And I just lost it, and I just can't uh. get it back. Yeah, that sucks. He had thirty thousand followers. Off memory.
1: Yeah, it was off but, memory you were like thirty to forty. I think you were like mid thirties. Yeah.
0: No, I did well. Yeah. But um Andrew Tate followed that account. But I, it just never picked up really? after I lost it. Yeah, yeah, he did. And I was like, man, this is this is this is working. But um I wanted to transition yeah, for, to another thing. Yeah, we're kinda we're at different pieces. Oh, but sorry. um what is the move with LinkedIn? Because I followed you on Twitter, you had this huge account. And then I was there was kind of this LinkedIn craze on Twitter. I'm like, yeah, let me let me start a LinkedIn. And then I go there and you're like hugely there too. I didn't even know. Like what what's the move there?
1: Yeah, so I think that there's a lot of similarities and there's a lot of differences between Twitter and LinkedIn. I think the way in which you grow accounts on Twitter and LinkedIn are very similar. You know, high-quality content uh, a lot of content, like, you know, it's quality plus quantity, but it's a lot of quantity. It's got to throw a lot of stuff out there. You never know what's going to catch because the organic reach there is pretty crazy. Um, you know, getting people to engage with your content early is super important. On, on Twitter, it's really about like retweets, likes and comments, right? Like retweets having the most weight, likes being probably the least and comments probably being somewhere in the middle. On LinkedIn, their retweets are kind of what they call like their reposts um, aren't that helpful. It's really more about comments. And then likes and then reposts that's kind of the order in which linkedin favors it um and then the type of audience that i've been attracting kind of as you know a personal brand a media company and agency is very different on twitter i've got like my beloved e-commerce brands million 10 million 50 million dollar plus brands fast growing really cool that want to work with my agency those brands are all over twitter on linkedin it's like massive corporations that like You know, I've never heard of, but like, are are huge. So, for example, just a few days ago, I got an inbound email from like the largest or one of the largest agricultural companies in the world. Uh, They've raised like five hundred million dollars. They've got like thousands of employees. They own thirty companies. You know, and they want to pay me thousands of dollars to do like a webinar for their internal marketing team to teach them about cold email. Or sorry, about you know, email, cold email, marketing, etc. Other companies on there, right? Like, I've got like Constant Contact, which is a big email provider. You know, they were like the OG in the space before MailChimp, you know, probably valued at north of a billion, maybe a couple billion dollars. You know, they hit me up and they want to, like, run ads behind my account on LinkedIn. So the the audience is very different. The LinkedIn crowd is very corporate, and they probably are better served for, like, my personal brand and those type of opportunities, more kind of consulting. Where Twitter, for me, has been more, like, brands that want to work with my agency. And on uh, LinkedIn, uh, my impressions are actually... Way more now, even though my account is smaller, I'm getting about two million impressions a week lately. So I think we were looking at before over the last 28 days, I'm at like seven million something impressions on LinkedIn. Now on Twitter, I'm about three million impressions a month. So LinkedIn, for whatever reason, just seems to be the platform where like you're being rewarded for your content. I found something
0: interesting when I started on LinkedIn. Twitter only notifies you of when people engage with you, but on LinkedIn, I got. A notification that says hey some people that you follow have commented on chase diamond's post i'm like oh i get it i get it because they're like they're pushing you even though you're not associated with me in that post so it's like they push stuff that's not like it's not your content so reach is just it's just crazy like i've been just copying
1: and pasting my tweets
0: from twitter to linkedin it just it just works like it, it just grows your account that's it
1: yeah, and a couple other things that are, are kind of interesting. So, I think to your point, like there's way more consumers than creators on LinkedIn, so they have to reward it. Two is like I created this thing called like a LinkedIn newsletter, where basically I just repurposed my actual newsletter on LinkedIn. But the crazy thing is, I didn't realize this, is when I first created it, it invited all my connections to subscribe. And then also, too, after people connect with me now, I guess it automatically invites them to subscribe to my newsletter. So, my LinkedIn newsletter is at like 10 or 11,000 people. And I haven't had to do anything to grow it, which is like crazy. It's growing on my behalf, like because LinkedIn's pushing it. That's
0: that's good. I was going to ask you that actually. How did you get what, like 40 something thousand people in your list now?
1: Yeah, I think it just recently crossed about 50,000. So yeah, 40, 50,000 young people on it, about 40 something thousand people that are pretty engaged.
0: How can one grow an email list like you?
1: yeah i think it's a couple things i think like my whole strategy has been like social pointing to email so really trying to grow the social accounts that way if a tweet does well i can kind of comment beneath it saying if you like this content you know subscribe to my newsletter you know having it all over my bios uh one cool thing about uh, linkedin is you can have something pinned to your profile in terms of like content so i have like my newsletters where basically all people have to do like is hit my profile and click subscribe Twitter has that as well, right? They have like the thing through review where people could one-click to subscribe. So really taking advantage of real estate on your profile and trying to drive as much you know attention and views as possible. Um, you know, doing things like events, so all the virtual events that I host. Like you know, anyone that joins those, like they're opting into my newsletter. Um, doing like partnerships and kind of giveaways with other brands. But really for me, the big thing is like trying to grow my social and then plugging uh, LinkedIn and kind of you know Twitter newsletters there for p- most my other stuff. One thing I've been doing on LinkedIn is like when a post goes viral. I actually just changed the entire copy of the post to hey, you know, follow me here or subscribe to my newsletter there. You know, on Twitter, right, you can't really edit the post. I guess now you can for the first 30 minutes, but like um, you have to kind of comment beneath it as like a second tweet. On LinkedIn, you actually could edit and change and wipe out the entire post that you created and type something new. So I have like an image of the actual thing which what it was. And then the text I changed to like, hey, follow me here or subscribe there. And that actually works really well. I like it. Do you have a lead magnet? Um, No. I, oh, I have in the past. But like presently, everything's just like subscribe to get access to, you know, a newsletter that 40 or 50,000 other people join on email marketing. I have done those things, you know, inspired by you and Tweet Hunter on Twitter in particular, where I've done like, hey, here's five email lessons from 100 million in revenue, or here's my top five email design secrets from 100 million in revenue. And then it's like the whole like, comment, retweet. Dude, I've gotten thousands of emails, like sometimes per lead mechanism that I create. Those are like more kind of like ad hoc. Uh, I don't really run them evergreen, but I've gotten thousands of people. And I don't know how. I still have people to this day that are downloading these things that like, I don't know how they're finding it. Like, I didn't post about it for like three or six months. They're still finding it.
0: Yeah, our friend, uh, Rob Allen, we got on a call once. He's like, dude, I, I want to grow my Twitter. What, what do I do? I'm like, you, you ever heard of the auto DM? He's like, no. So it's, it's this one thing where if you like comment and retweet, like uh, Hunter will send you something. And we tested it. He has this yeah. file of like 500 ads or pages. And he sent it out to his audience. It got like 3,000 likes, like 1,000 subs in a day. And it was just stupid. It was just ridiculous because it works. So I figured that you can do that on LinkedIn.
1: You you can? Is that what you're saying? I think
0: think so. But what were you saying?
1: I've tried it on LinkedIn. It hasn't been as great as uh, Twitter in terms of like actually sending it out. Twitter seems a little bit more, I guess, compliant or kind of allowing of it. But yeah, I, I think for me, like... The biggest one I did, is I got twenty seven hundred emails in like forty eight hours or something crazy from one of those things, which was nuts.
0: That's ridiculous. That's stupid. Good, good stuff. Yeah, I like it. I uh, see Thank some you. agency owners they're asking for phone numbers as well. So like, uh, they'll have setters like calling all these people. Be like, hey, I saw you went through the research. Uh, what were you thinking about? It's like, oh, this. Oh, what's your biggest struggle in the business right now? And they'll set them for the calls. So it's like a two two way. Sometimes people just send the freebie, but I like it when you ask for the email and the phone number and then send the freebie. You know what I mean?
1: I love it. Yeah, I love it. Yeah.
0: I had a question about email marketing now. You said you transitioned from e-comm email marketing to more general uh, email marketing. What's the difference between say, e-comm, SaaS and personal brand email marketing?
1: Yeah, and by the way, just to clarify, like my agency specifically only does e email, but me, kind of as I get interested in other things, I want to learn, like, what's winning over here, what's winning over there? Like, me personally, I've kind of like branched out and expanded to that. Um, e-commerce email, at least the way that we work with brands, everything is, like, beautifully designed. Emails, people care more about design than anything else, like, things have to be pixel perfect. Like, the clients that we work with that are very brand-centric, uh, it's all about design. Where with my personal newsletter, right, that the, the newsletter is in. Um, it's either just plain text or it's like a very, very simple template, but it's really just text. It just has like my logo and maybe kind of some borders and whatnot. So I think with like personal brand stuff, a lot less of it's like these beautifully designed emails and more of it's just like very simple, plain text or like very subtle kind of branding on it. I think that's one difference. I think with uh, you know the personal brand versus e-commerce, personal brands typically do a lot more education and, and value than e-commerce brands. I think e-commerce brands sell a lot more. And that's not to say everyone, right? Like, I'm thinking about, like, a lot of direct response personal brands that just only sell, right? But, like, in most cases, I think it's easier for a personal brand to educate people. Like, it's way easier for me to provide endless amounts of education on email marketing, copywriting, agency, et cetera, than it is for a brand that sells T-shirts to provide education, right? Like, there's only so much they can do. They can teach you about their products. They can teach you about their sourcing. They can teach you about their process. They can teach you about their team. Maybe there's a couple other things they can do, but they're a little bit more limited. So I think like personal brands have an easier time building affinity just because of the the value transfer. Right. Like I think when people think about me, they think about like all the value I give. Or if you think about like, like a brand like Nordstrom's, it's like, yeah, it's cool. I like shopping there, but like you're not necessarily that passionate about it, right? But like I really like your content, JK. Right. Like I really think you're doing a great job. And I, I have like a strong feeling towards you and the content that you create and the value that you give that I at least personally don't have necessarily towards brands. So I think it's easier to build a following. I think it's easier to become liked as a person versus a brand, right? Like it's the whole Elon Musk versus Tesla. More people follow Elon than Tesla and people like Tesla often because of Elon, right? Obviously, maybe I shouldn't mention his name right now. He's very controversial, it seems like, but um, right, like you you get what I'm saying. So I think those are kind of some of the things. And then I think with SaaS, it's kind of somewhere in between personal branding and e-commerce where... You can create cool-looking emails. Um, you can kind of do more of, like, the transactional stuff with uh, e-commerce, right? Like, if someone signs up for your free trial and then they don't convert. Or if someone signs up for your product, pays, and then they fail payment. So I think there's a little bit more stuff within SaaS that's more comparable to e-commerce. But I think some things from, like, the personal brand space are very applicable as well. Would you say that...
0: I had an idea when you were talking and you mentioned the Elon Musk and Tesla and you and your agency and me and Tweet Hunter, would you say that the personal brand gets the attention, but is the actual brand that gets the money as in Chase Diamond gets the attention, but it's the agency that gets the money. Elon gets the attention. It's Tesla that gets the money. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think the the company itself will probably make more, but the person itself will probably be the one that drives the revenue. and The company is the one that profits from the revenue. I think in terms of like the our bigger brands, yeah, like for you and Tweet Hunter, for me and the agency, for Elon and Tesla. Um, but also, right, like you've done a great job monetizing outside of just Tweet Hunter. So have I, and it's probably so is Elon, right? Like, but most of it probably does go towards the the company. I think that's a good point. That's an interesting point. I hadn't thought about that.
0: Yeah, I was just thinking about it when you were mentioning it. I I have another question that's a little bit selfish. Me as a personal brand. What's your take on emails that send out a lot of value and emails that they're just all about selling? Because I see, for example, the Russell Brunson approach, the Seinfeld approach, you've heard about this. It's like shorter email with the story, sell in the end. And then there's other people who do this massive two, 3000 word emails. That's all value. Like what are you, what's your take on which one works best for monetization?
1: Yeah, I think you need both, right? Like I think for, uh, how I think about it is like my, by me providing the value, it opens up the opportunity for that me to sell, right? I think if I just had an email list of 50,000 people and all I did was sell, that email list wouldn't be 50,000, right? That email list would be a lot, lot less. Um, sure, maybe I could drive more sales, but like I have multiple ways to monetize it through uh, the free newsletter th- with paid sponsors. I've got the paid newsletter. I've got the courses. I've got the events. I've got all these ways. So for me, providing value first and foremost, and then selling secondary is important. That being said, like I do have automation set up where like if someone's opened 10 emails of mine, they're gonna receive like three emails over three days with like my main course being plugged. They're gonna receive a daily email for three days telling them about my course. And then it's value, value, value. And then once they've opened like 20 emails and they've been on my list for a few months, I then introduce them for another three or four days to another few courses. So for me, typically like my campaigns most often than not, are value driven. And then some of the automations and the logic I've set up based off of people doing certain things are automated. So if someone buys one course, they go into a drip sequence trying to nurture them and get them to buy another course. If they've been engaged on the newsletter, and it's like, hey, you like the free newsletter, you're probably gonna like the paid newsletter. So I kind of think about it that way. Um, And I don't think there's a right or wrong approach. But I think like for me, I like to provide two to three times the amount of value for every sales email.
0: That was a beautiful clip. That was really informational. I liked, really like that. I'm gonna record. I'm gonna look at that again and automate my stuff based on what I see. Uh, thank you, man.
1: Thank you. Uh,
0: that was good. Uh, is there before I transition to other question? I I need to ask this, but uh, are there any other segmentations, other little maybe tricks that people don't talk about enough about the way you structure your emails?
1: Uh, The way you structure emails, I think one of the things that's top of mind in terms of email that I've been doing lately that you may or may not have seen is I've been prompting people to reply to like boost deliverability. Like, um, This is a very busy period of time for people in terms of sending. Inboxes are flooded. Um, Way more people are getting way more emails and therefore opening a lot less emails than normal. So what I've been doing is I've been really tightening my segments to um, be more kind of exclusive, right? Really, you know, 30, 60, 90-day segments right now trying to prompt people to open to click to reply and i've been really pushing replies so i did something the other day where i was like hey anyone that replies to this email and tells me where this email lands in their inbox will get access to my free or to my paid newsletter for free so essentially what i did basically is i took like 25 or thirty thousand people i sent a plain text email that said um you know free access to my my newsletter if you do this and i basically said hey jk Wanted to get a sense of where my email landed in your inbox. Is it the primary folder? Is it the promotions folder? Is it the updates folder? Or is it the spam hit reply? and Let me know, dude, uh, I must've had like 400 or 500 replies. So, so that was one thing I did. I did another thing too. Like, uh, Hey, you know, let me know if you're getting this. Uh, if you are, I'm going to hook you up with a freebie. Right. And then I had another 400 or 500 people reply. And then I actually went back in and kind of manually was replying to people to create that habit of looking like, you know, a human. You know, that way can kind of signal to Gmail and these other people that it's a human. And so I had probably between like 800 to 1,000 people reply like in a given week from these two emails. Um, And anyone that said I was in the promotions or updates, I said, hey, will you please drag this over into the primary folder? And I had a lot of people do that, which then trains their own inbox that they should start receiving it in the primary. So that's kind of something interesting top of mind that I've been doing that it feels like it's helping.
0: That's fucking smart. That's fucking smart. I like that. Have you thought about having somebody who would take all these 400 500 replies, insert conversations with them and maybe if it made sense, sell your course via like email conversations?
1: Yeah, um so there there have been a couple people within that that said like, "Oh, you know, I've been wanting to get your course or hey, I got this in the primary folder. I love your content. Been wanting to get your course." There was like a percentage, I don't know if it was like five or 10%. There was a small percentage of people that not just said, hey, this landed in XYZ folder, but also kind of, they kind of prompted a conversation of like, you know, which of your courses should I start with? Or, hey, you know, how do I pick X, Y, and Z? And, and with those people, I would just respond back and be like, cool, you know, I think you should buy this course, or I don't think you need this course, actually, that you, you thought you need, you need this course instead. So for some of them I'd had conversations, maybe with like 50 people or something. I like it.
0: Good. And we're going to be wrapping up soon, but I had a, one like, very important like, and cash question. You're about to hit 100,000 followers. Okay. There's very few people with 100,000 followers doing the kind of things that you're doing, making the kind of money you're making. What are some of the, yeah. I don't want to say tricks, but kind of frameworks and kind of strategies that you use that you see people are not leveraging enough?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Is that specific to like growth on Twitter? Is that specific to monetization? Where do you want me to go with this? Let's talk about monetization because selecting cash. Yeah, okay. Um, let's see. So I think for, for one, one thing that's interesting that I'm doing that I haven't seen many people do is I, I get advertisers to run sponsored traffic on tweets about them. Uh, and then they f- they fund the ad bill, and I take a percentage of revenue. So let me explain this. So for example, one ad I'm running right now is on a company called uh, Rep. It's like some AI company on basically a chatbot for e-commerce. What they're basically doing is they are funding all the ad spend with a custom tracking link in my name. And anyone that then converts, they're paying me out a percentage of people that convert, right? So I'm able to leverage their ad dollars to show it to my audience and similar audiences and anyone that converts i'm getting paid on right so it's basically for me you know free money and my account is out there just staying top of mind for people so that's been kind of an interesting one that i've never seen anyone do or or really talk about um i think yeah other ones are like just being able to plug the, the newsletter and plug courses i think it's a big one like i do a lot of like hyping and kind of building wait lists through social for course launches uh three is i use a lot of like twitter and in particular polls and on linkedin as well to validate products that i want to build or validate products or kind of do market research for companies that you know i might work with or that might pay me for that research so those are kind of some of the things i'm thinking about is like leveraging the audience to gather insights about what products do i build what products do i sell uh what are things that are going to be valuable to my sponsors uh running ad dollars behind uh other companies and taking a percentage of revenue, just kind of some things like that that are kind of interesting
0: I like it one thing I'll say man is ever since I met you in 2020 like you've been talking about email every day for like three times a day for like two and a half years without mm-hmm. stopping like, you haven't stopped you kept going on that same thing and there's like a few people who started at the same time as we did on Twitter kind of like Daniel right or Wiz of ecom like we all started at the same point and we kind of just, we just never stopped, right? And eventually things start to happen, things get easier. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I I have this saying that I tell my team that the stuff that you do six months ago is the stuff that you're winning on today. The reason that we're winning today is because of the work that we did six months ago. It's not the work that we're doing today. The work that we're doing today is gonna set us up in six months for success. I think too often people throw in the towel way too early or to your point, I haven't missed a single day of at least one or two tweets about email or copywriting. Not one day. Some days right? I've only done one or two, when I'm really on it, I'm doing three or four. But on average, for the last two and a half years, every single day, it's been two plus or three plus tweets about the things in my lane that I know just as well as other people, if not oftentimes better than other people. And it's taken a long time. People didn't see the two and a half years but before that, right? So I've been doing this for like five years. I went on my first podcast in 2017. I started doing all this stuff on social, and the only person that ever engaged was, like, my wife and my mom and my dad, right? Like, I've been doing this stuff for a long time, but people just saw the window over the last two and a half years. And oftentimes, right, people just saw that are new over the last six or 12 months. Um, so the things that, that we're winning on today, to your point, are the things that are compounding through the momentum and the daily grind that we've done and that people don't see. So yeah hats off to you and for everyone listening like just build just do it it is gonna work maybe it doesn't work to the same degree maybe it works better but the more that you do the more chances you give yourself to succeed the more often it is that you're gonna win like it's just a it's it's a numbers game it really is
0: yeah and like you tweeting more won't result in you having a smaller audience and yeah, likes in cash, but it's easier to monetize a 50,000 follower audience than a zero follower audience. So like, even if you're not sure of what's going to happen, even if you build it, I mean, it's going to get easier when you do know what it, what do you want to get into? So this is like, no, no downside. And the other day I was thinking about like what keeps people okay. from tweeting. It's people, they're like, I don't know what to tweet about. I kind of feel embarrassed. I don't know what to say. And we have this false belief that the content that we should put on Twitter is different than the content we're thinking about. And that is true, for example, for YouTube and Instagram. Like you need to edit the stuff, make it pretty, make sure the thumbnail is nice. On Twitter, it doesn't work that way. On Twitter, it's more stream of consciousness. It's what you're thinking about. I bet you, Chase, you, the, some of your best tweets, I bet, have been the ones you haven't been really thinking about. Maybe you were in a walk, you tweeted it on a whim, and it's like, boom, been viral. you just never know. It just happens. Yeah. With
1: it, yeah the way that I think about content is like you build this muscle, right? Like you just build this muscle by doing and creating and whatnot. And to your point, like I don't care about the aesthetic of any of my shit. Like I really don't. Like I just do it. And, you know, doing it is better than perfection, right? Like a, a job done is better than a perfection. I think two people, to your point, like think that everything has to be like overly engineered and overly edited and, and just this whole thing where like, dude, if I have something on my mind, to your point, like I just write it, right? Like whatever I thought then. and the very least, the way I look at it, it's a daily journal. It's for me to get my thoughts out about the things I was thinking today. And in the future, I want to look back on these and be like, what did Chase think about in 2020? What did Chase think about in 2022? What did I think about in 2024? And see how much I've grown and involved. And if people like it, that's just the icing on the cake.
0: I like it. Alex says that his tweets are reminders to himself. Is that how you look at it, too?
1: Yeah, I do. Like, How far I've come? What am I thinking about? What was my hypothesis? What ended up happening? Um, it, it really is like the digital journal. Like I'm not going to sit there every day and write in like an actual journal, but I want to write digitally. I want that to stay there um, and I want to reference it. And I often do. I look back on them every three to six months. I'm like, wow, I knew what I was saying or damn, I was close, but that wasn't right. Or wow, I had this crazy idea and we tried it and I thought it was going to work, but it, it didn't work, right? So it's, it's interesting. It's really cool to see when you're right and it's really humbling to see when you're wrong and it's interesting to take the learning from both.
0: Yeah. And it's often the nine things that you're wrong about that, uh, it's like you do 10 things, but like everybody attributes your success to one thing out of the 10. Cause you fucked up nine times before. Yes. <laughs> like yes. I've rebranded like 10 times already. It was not until Tweet Hunter that something kind of happened. But, um, man, it's good. It's been great talking to you. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to add? Maybe where people can find you and consume content from you.
1: Yeah, uh, find me on Twitter at EcomChaseDiamond, no A in diamonds, It's just D-I-M-O-N-D. And yeah, hopefully this is helpful. I was definitely, I think, more transparent and gave more numbers than I usually do. I, I really like to kind of just keep quiet on all that. But, you know, I, I know you wanted me to kind of like bring the heat and kind of share things very openly. So yeah, hopefully people resonated with that. And you did, brother. You did. Well, it was great talking to
0: you and uh, see you in the next one. Bye-bye.
1: Sounds good. Cheers, man.